0: Ooh, isn't it funny that a person will eat when they're hungry but will duck if you throw an apple at their face?
1: You should, you, you know, they should give you something if you get every single thing wrong on like an eight way basketball parlay.
0: Like, if you get every. I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm... Weather sucks. I wish it wasn't snowing. The end. It's 74 degrees here. Bite me.
1: We're back from the all-star break i guess we could call that the uh it's we're already past the halfway point of the season because it's game it's 80 it stars have played 50 games of an 82 game season but it's an unofficial halfway point break of the season and we head into a stretch where the stars are three points out of the of a playoff spot in the western conference with 32 games remaining and uh this final 32 stretch will be the season. So, Ryan, we'll start right there with you. How are you feeling? Do you do you think we have uh, 32 games left or maybe 33 games left this season?
0: I don't know, man. This like this whole thing is just so weird right now because like I've I haven't checked out on hockey season, but I'm pretty close to checking out on, on this Dallas Stars season. And then I sit up there and I look at the standings when I'm sitting in the airport the other morning, and, oh, lo and behold, the Stars are three points out of the playoffs and have two games in hand on Calgary. So by no means is this season even close to over yet. And we're still sitting here, and the Stars are far from having played their best hockey of the season, so there's still a lot that I think is potentially there for the taking.
1: It's 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 we've talked about the parody before and we talked last week quite a bit about what the uh, overtime loser point does for the league and how it kind of creates a system where teams are in it longer. And it's, it's such it's it's such a weird way to look at where if you were to just look at kind of the fan reaction and how they've been playing, you'd think that we'd be talking about a team right now where. They should be packing it in. They'd be definite sellers at the deadline, and they'd be, uh, and we'd be looking forward to next year already. We'd be looking at, we'd be talking about, hey, let's pull up some kids from the AHL. Let's just figure out how to. Uh... They'd be if if with how they played and and how and you look at their inconsistencies and things like that. You'd think they'd be in Colorado type territory, territory where Colorado is a seller at the deadline, and well, let's build for the future. But all of a sudden. Because of this system, not all of a sudden, but because of this system, strong second half, a strong final thirty-two games, and you have an opportunity to be the to, to make the playoffs, and this is the NHL where lower seeded teams have actually made some noise in the playoffs.
0: Gotcha, yeah, and you're looking at a team that if they were even halfway decent in overtime right now, they'd be battling with Nashville for a position in the central and not just a wild card spot. Like it's just a bad Western conference this year and that benefits the stars perfectly because the stars are a bad team this year. So there's some symmetry for you.
1: Yeah. Before, before we get on more of the stars, I'll touch on it for a second, just because I feel like it was part of the hockey world. So we should talk about it. But the, uh, this, the, the events from this past weekend, the uh, NHL all-star festivities in the, uh, in, in Los Angeles where Tyler Sagan was the lone representative and, Three on three for the Central Division went about just as well as three on three has gone for Tyler Sagan's <laughs> NHL team this season. Um, that was a game where I I didn't even wa- I didn't even get to watch that first quote unquote game. Um, I got home and I turned it on with about three minutes left in that first period first game whatever, and it just looked like the one team wanted to be there the other team didn't want to be there.
0: Yeah, I was on a, I was on an airplane all day yesterday, so I didn't catch any of it. Not that I really would have watched it anyway, yeah. but I didn't see any of it.
1: Yeah. So the game itself was, first, the final wasn't bad. I thought that was kind of, the final was entertaining to a point, it was entertaining where it was 20 minutes of entertainment. By far the most entertaining part of the All-Star game for me was Sergei Bobrovsky doing a spin move to get around a, a four checker with the puck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Digging into the old Patrick Waugh around Wayne Gretzky uh, uh, playbook there. Um, skills competition is a skills competition. Um, I didn't watch it. Um, you didn't miss anything. I was I was told that there. I mean, well Shea Weber won the whole hardest shot, so that was what we expected, and.
0: And he was six miles an hour slower than he was last year. Well, it last not even like there was fireworks around it.
1: Conspiracy theory. Last year, he hit 108 or something like that in Nashville when he played for Nashville. You know how they juice the radar guns in, in, in home baseball we parks? He
0: hit, hit 108 the year before that, too.
1: Oh, you kind of, Okay, fine. Then he's just getting older.
0: That is, yeah, there you go. But this, God, they suck so much fun out of the skills competition this year. That fourth line challenge. The only redeemable quality of the skills challenge this year was Mike Smith draining a full ice shot dead center of the net. That was literally the only good thing about the skills competition. It was a snooze fest this year. That that, I mean, granted, I guess that did come in the fourth line challenge, but that thing was just awful. Like that, whatever they were trying to do with that just flopped horribly. And just removing all of the breakaway challenge or the shootout challenge, whatever they called that, removing the personality from that was just an awful move. Just awful.
1: Yeah, it was. <sighs>
0: And then the whole thing surrounding McDavid versus Larkin versus Mike Gartner and the fastest skater ever record. That was just like, why did they do that last year with Larkin and then not do it with McDavid this year when Gartner was, when they had, when Mike Gartner did it, they did it the same way that they had McDavid do it.
1: I don't know. It's, and who cares? I mean, that's like really who cares who has the fastest, fastest skater time. Um, I mean I don't I don't really care about that I mean the the coolest thing and I thought the most interesting thing for me out of the whole weekend was the NHL naming their top 100 players officially of all time which I think it's cool I think it's kind of I think it would have been it would have been difficult to rank them but I think it would have been kind of cool to see them come out and actually rank them from one to 100 and now obviously you start running into debates right away at number two I mean you start running into debates quite a bit um and you had enough debates already with who was in the the, the top hundred of all time, because like for, like for example, how is how is Evgeny Malkin not in the top hundred players of all time when you look at some of the other guys that made it?
0: How's not? How's Mark Recchi not in there? Mark That's Re- what I saw today.
1: And Jerome, I mean, Jerome Aginla too. I mean, and I'm not saying I think I look at Jerome Againla and think of him as a top hundred player of all time, but I look at some of the other guys who made the team from the 1990s, who were, who played in the 1990s, who were good, but there's no way they were better than Malkin or Againla, And,
0: right. and I don't even see, this is, this is the half of it that I just don't care about because just cross generational comparisons are so difficult to do. Like, we you, we can sit here and say, man, you put Krasby or Ovechkin back in the 1980s as they are right now, and they would just tear up the league. And yeah, of course they would, because it's a completely different game now back then. But if you're saying, you know, you put Alex Ovechkin growing up in that time frame and letting him play the game of, grow up playing the game of hockey that way, we don't know what he'd be. Well, yeah. it's, like the, it's, it's just an apples to oranges comparison, and that's why just this whole thing is something for people to talk about. And I just, I don't care enough to pay attention to it. I haven't been li- alive long enough or watched enough hockey my 25, you know, my first 10, 15 years of life to even remember what the 90s hockey was like. I obviously don't know what hockey was like before the 90s, so I just, it's something, and I'm not someone who just sits there and watches old-school hockey highlights for fun because it's just, it's not appealing to me whatsoever. So I just it's something that I just don't care about, to be completely honest. I would have been... I in, get why people like it, but...
1: And, and I understand, and, and the thing that maybe... I would have preferred a different list. I think it's it's good for conversation and it's fun to say, "Oh, top hundred greatest players of all time," and the uh, I think that's fun for conversation. But then all of a sudden, you start getting to way too many difficult, too many uh, discussions of what does great mean. Because, for example, George Vesna was in there as one of the top 100 greatest goalies, of top 100 greatest players of all time. But if we're going based on pure skill and you say, oh, well, we're going to reanimate dead guys and have them play and reanimate everyone into their prime, there's no way George Vesna would even be, with how he played, there's no way he'd ever, he'd be laughed out of the ECHL yeah. in, in today's game. So I the problem is just kind of the definition of great for me. And, there's something that I think I would have preferred to see, and I don't know if it's, you could do a hundred, but you, if you go and you, and you said top hundred defining players of all time, maybe something like that, because there's yeah. where I think I, I would, where you could have then, and you could have said, well, you know what? Yager needs to be in there because he's defined three decades of hockey almost, right. uh, or even, and it would even allow you to go through and you could say, look at Vesna was the, uh, George Vez is in there because he was the one who was the first great goalie, and Hashik is in there because he redefined what we thought about as a goalie, and Wah introduced the butterfly. And if you look at it as defining players, all of a sudden allows you to kind of look a little bit better at league history, where you could go and say, like for example, Willie O'Ree is no way, no way, Willie O'Ree is one of the best hundred players of all time, but he should be in the most defining players of all time because without without Willie O'Ree. Um, And someone else would have come in eventually, obviously. But you look back at Willie O'Ree, Grant Fuhrer, Fuhrer, who was in the top 100, never plays in the NHL. You have Jerome McGinley, who I made a case for being one of the better top 100 players of all time, is never in the NHL. So I think I wanted to see something more of going top 100 defining players of all time, not to the extent of... Because I think when we say greatest, all of a sudden it becomes, well, we have to look at what they just did on or off the ice and i mean just just on the ice not off the ice sorry and if we look at just what they did on the ice you'd like you'd think you'd like you you have to look at today's era and say well they're faster stronger better so theoretically the top 100 players if we're going off we're gonna take everyone and put them in their prime and have them play against each other 80 of the top 100 players should still be playing in a league right now based just off of the concept of players are better trained they're faster they're they're everything right now so I, that's, that's my take on it. It's, and the other thing too, is I see a lot of people, um, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to kind of create a defining list because I think you see a lot of complaints from people who are complaining because their favorite player who maybe is a top 250 player of all time, or in who would be, who may have gotten one or two votes isn't actually on the list. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of bias there that we can't really, it's hard to uh, you can't really pick through it that way because I mean I, I think for example some people were uh, some stars fans for example there was people who put uh, who said Sergey uh, 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 oh am I wrong yeah sir, sorry 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 Sergey Zubov should have been a top hundred player of all time he was a hell of a defenseman but he's not one of the top hundred top greatest hundred greatest players of all time. I mean, you're just, I think it's just, it's, and now I, I know I'm going to get someone who's mad at me for that comment already, and I apologize. I'm sorry. But at least I wasn't Greg Wyshynski who was going and saying Mike Badano shouldn't be in the 100 greatest players of all time. At least I'm not going that far. So, Who Madano should be in. For his play alone, and he should also be in because I was talking about defining players. Madano should be in because he is the greatest American born scorer of all time. For that alone, he should be in there because we're talking about defining players as well.
0: Yeah, he'll have that title for another six or seven years.
1: And
0: oh. God, by the time I'm old, Mike Madano might not even be in the top five anymore. Yeah. I mean, you look at who they had. Who's young and American right now? Patrick Kane's going to pass him, no questions asked.
1: Oh, easily, Patrick Kane.
0: I bet you, Eichel and Matthews both pass him. Um, who else?
1: That that drops him to four. That drops him to four right now. I mean, that's. I
0: mean, we're we're only. I mean, we're I mean, fourteen hundred points is a lot. That's about you're, you're looking at a eighty point pace over a sixteen year career. That's a lot of longevity to have. So I don't know. Maybe he will be up there, but I could. There's a couple guys I could see. Mm-hmm. At least those three I could legitimately see p- passing him.
1: Yeah. Speaking of Austin Matthews, Stars play uh, Toronto on Tuesday this week. That'll be. A, I'm I'm, in, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing him in person because it's.
0: I would. Be. I would, that I'd be looking forward to watch that team in person that's a fun team to watch
1: yeah it, it's one thing too uh, it's one thing to watch a team on TV and then you realize how fast a team like that is typically once you see them in person like McDavid is great to watch on TV but once you watch mcDavid in person you realize you realize how fast he is he's such a he's such a good player he's the way he's making decisions and looks makes other guys look like they're in slow motion when you watch that live it's 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 another it's another it's another level of greatness for lack of a better word there.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean Yeah. Oh yeah. He goes zero to sixty faster than anyone I've ever seen play before.
1: And his fastest skater time to bring you back into a debate you wanted to go into. His was from a standing start.
0: Yes. <laughs> As and yes.
1: And he gets he really gets flying, especially once he has a uh, once he has a uh
0: Oh, yeah, watching him go from, like, coasting to just exploding to full speed. It's remark. It's, like, two strides.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, granted, two strides is different from a, a coast than it is from a complete stop. But, he, okay, he goes from, like, 5 to 60 faster than anyone I've ever seen before.
1: It's pretty good. It's impressive to watch, though. The, uh... Getting back to the stars here, we talked a little about the... Uh, the all-star game this past weekend and that was uh it is what it is i think it's a it's a nice break from the league but it's not all All all-star games have basically essentially bastardized their sport the three-on-three is entertaining but it's not a real hockey game the pro bowl is the farthest thing possible from real football nba all-star game i haven't watched nba all-star game in years but i've seen box scores where it's like 145 to 142 and the one sport that actually it's a real game is, is baseball, and they, for whatever reason, give more meaning to it than any All-Star game should ever have. Didn't they
0: announce that that wasn't happening anymore?
1: I think they did change that, actually, so I'll give credit back to baseball for that. Because, but I think, I think they're changing that for this season. But this isn't a baseball podcast. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> our baseball knowledge wouldn't carry enough time to cover a podcast.
0: No. If you asked me like 10 years ago, maybe it would, but I haven't paid attention to baseball in forever.
1: Yeah. Well, back to the stars and we're talking about, I put this out on Twitter before the podcast and we got a couple of responses on it where, how do you redefine expectations for the stars right now? I guess we talked a little bit kind of talked, touched on this a little bit kind of after game 41 and kind of the consensus at that time was, there's, we still need to see a bit more to figure out what this team actually is. And now we're at the point where there's 32 games remaining. They're they're close to a playoff spot, and there it's we're a month right now exactly from the NHL trade deadline. What's the expectation now, Ryan? What's your expectation for this team now? If you were to go try and set a realistic expectation, what is it?
0: If I were ask me again in eight games, because if we're sitting here right now, I'm telling you that if I'm Jim Nil, I'm basing what I do off of these next eight games because other than, I mean, you have two games against Toronto, which will both be tough games, but those are you could both make arguments that those are winnable games mm-hmm. just based on where the Leafs are in the standings, kind of ignoring how they've been playing of late, but based on where they are in the standings. And then you have the Blackhawks once. Mm-hmm. Other than that, all other five of those games are games that they should win if they expect to be a playoff team. And if we're sitting here after these eight games are up and the stars go like 2-5-1 and one or something like that, I'm selling. I'm not even going to sit there and try to claw my way back into the playoffs because even if you do, you're going to get smoked in the first round. And that's with players that they have on this team who potentially won't be on this team next year, that just doesn't make sense to me to do. It doesn't make sense to me to try to limp into the playoffs Or keep fighting to try to even get, you know, because you're not limping into the playoffs. You're trying to get into the playoffs. It doesn't make sense to me to kind of, like, barely scratch your way into the playoffs only to get clobbered in the first round when you'd be better off just giving up. I mean, you know, giving, giving up is not really a noble way to say that, I guess. But you'd be better off selling off assets and then going from there.
1: And in re, and re and resetting yourself and building for next season, essentially. Um,
0: right, exactly. Because we're looking at a we're looking at a, an AHL team that there's not a lot of
1: no, there's not
0: currently in the AHL or really in the system. To be completely honest, yeah. You know, Riley Tuff is starting to get his stuff together. You have Gurianov who's looking good, and if Valanchuskin ever comes back, there's one. But those and then obviously Julius Honko.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: those are really like who else in the system is going to be a top four slash top six player for this
1: team. You have Jason Dickinson as potential to do that. Um but I mean yeah, you look at the rest of that, for example, you look at that AHL roster, you've got a lot of guys who are NHL players. If they're if they're NHL players, they're bottom six or they're cup of coffee guys. I mean yeah. like Jamel Smith, yeah, it was a cool story. He went from playing in the E C he went from playing in the E C H L last year to playing a dozen NHL games this season, but I don't think anyone thinks Jamel Smith is actually a full-time NHL player. He's a he's an he's an AHL, NHL swingman, where you maybe his ceiling is a guy who plays 10 to 15 NHL games a season in case of injuries, things like that. But the rest of that team, I mean, especially on uh especially when you start to take a look out uh at after the top of that roster. I mean, Matty Stransky, who Good story. He's playing in the AHL All Star Game this weekend, but he's he's the he's on the top line in Texas. And Stransky's a guy who I I'd like to see him prove me wrong, but I don't think he has the I don't think he can skate well enough to play in the NHL. And, and that's just that's just kind of a fact of life. It's the same reason that uh, you look at and then you look at the back end on defense, and they've got Ludwig Bistrom is not. I don't think Ludwig Biestrom will ever be an NHL player. Matthias Backman could be an NHL player, but he's not a game breaking NHL player. He's a solid bottom, bottom four guy who could be, uh, if given that opportunity, but I don't think that opportunity will ever come in Dallas. So if, and we might have set the exact same date because I don't know, I didn't look at the exact number of games, but I had, before we had gone to the podcast, I had in my mind the date circled as February 15th. Where the That'd more be right the, after the eight games. Yeah, okay. So, so where's got
0: the schedule pulled up right
1: now? Where on February when you wake up on February fifteenth, you decide who your team is on that morning. And that's when you need to make that decision because then you give yourself two weeks to if you're if you're in it, you give yourself two weeks to maybe you try and swing something to make your team better, or you have two weeks to essentially start a bidding war for Patrick Eves and Patrick Sharp and hopefully is played by and hopefully Oduya is healthy enough to to play himself into being a chip you can trade because that could be the most frustrating part of Johnny O'Dea's injury. If the stars are indeed sellers, the most frustrating part of O'Dea's injury could be his injury lingers on and he, he's injured himself out of being any trade value.
0: Yeah, exactly. Cause then you're basically losing him for nothing. So I don't think they're bringing him back next year.
1: i would be high. I would not think so. I would not think they would. And the, uh, I mean, they've already kind of, they sent a really big message, uh, they sent a huge message last game, the last game before the break against Buffalo, and it's something that could be that could change with a new coach. But they basically told Patrick Nemeth that he is never going to get a chance under Lindy Ruff by scratching yeah. by scratching him against Buffalo. Um, and yes, he had one penalty the game before, but he had played four games in a row. I thought he was actually playing somewhat okay. He was playing actually playing at a level where I would have liked to see him continue playing. And then they bring Honka in, and they scratch him. And I don't have them. I don't have a problem with bringing Honka in, but you take Nemeth out, and it basically, I mean, the message has now been sent there. I believe that as long as Lindy Ruff is the coach there, Patrick Nemeth is not part of this organization. It's just that's a message that has been locked home, that has been locked in, and I think. So if you if you want if you, we we've talked about trading him before, I mean. He should be traded right. They should trade him right now because, ob- whether they're in it or out, whether they're in or out, they should trade him now because the coach right now has no faith in him.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, and you know, you talk about. Well, I mean, we should reiterate that being sellers at the trade deadline doesn't mean you're blowing up and starting over. No, this
1: because is this be, is this isn't tanking. Let's, let's 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 put that out there real quick. Right. This is not tanking.
0: Right. Exactly. isn't isn't what the Sabres and the Coyotes did in the year when Eichel and McDavid, when everyone was jostling to try to get those two teams. This isn't Toronto completely dismantling its roster to have the best chance for Austin Matthews next year and then rebuilding from that. This is the Stars potentially trading two or three pending unrestricted free agents to stock up the farm system for next year. Mm -hmm. Because, and this goes back to, I think, how last year kind of, warped every the sen, everyone's sense of where this team truly is because you look at how, what they did last year and all of a sudden their window is accelerated to the present when I feel like expectations for last year was the team was going to be kind of what they were the year prior to that where they'd sneak into the playoffs as a wild card team and then you know, they score enough to maybe make some noise, but probably end up bowing out in the first or second round just because they don't have any defense. But they scored so much in the regular season, and their goaltending was just good enough in the regular season that all of a sudden this looks like the best team in the West, which kind of makes the way that this season has gone more difficult to comprehend. But if you're looking at last year as more of an aberration than the norm, then the way this year is going kind of makes a little bit more sense because we're not talking about a team that if they sell off Patrick Sharp and Johnny Aduya and whoever else, that we're not talking about a team that's closing its window. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a team who, assuming it gets Tyler Sagan locked up for a long term, has two of the seven best players currently playing in the NHL on its roster for a long period of time, currently at or entering the prime of their careers. You have your number one defenseman, quote-unquote, John Klingberg, who's in his mid-20s, who's locked up for six years at a very reasonable rate. You're looking at a team who they get the right goaltending and they get the right supporting players in place, and this is a team that can do some damage. But it's also a team that kind of needs to retool a little bit to make that the likelihood of that happening better.
1: Yeah, and they also need to – and the other thing, too, is if you sell off Patrick Eves, Patrick Sharp, and Johnny Oduya – um, if, you, if you sell them off for prospects, picks, for whatever, you're not going in full tank mode and starting and, – and, and, and you're not going in full tank mode like Toronto or Buffalo where you're trying to lose games. You just still try and win games with the kids you have because you're basically exactly. – and, and, and who knows, even if you sell off, if you go and say after the trade deadline and somehow in March you rip off five games of five wins in a row – All of a sudden, you're in a position where maybe you're in the playoffs. So you can sell off and still be in. But the reality is you're looking at a team that probably doesn't have the goaltending, and we've we've talked about before, it's not the goaltending's fault, but doesn't have the goaltending to win four playoff rounds. I just... You look at them, even if, even if you talk about them, when their goalies are playing well and you look at that, there's just no way you can tell me you would trust that goaltending tan to win four rounds of playoffs. Just that's... Right.
0: And it's that the goaltending hasn't been consistent enough and, the, quite frankly, the offense this year hasn't been consistent enough. Mm-hmm. Like, look, you'll probably have games where Miami or Letton go out there and stand on their head and the offense gives them a goal. And they lose two to one mm-hmm. and same thing. You have the offense go out there like they did against the Rangers a couple of weeks ago, put up seven goals and you give up six. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just not a team that's been consistent enough so far this year to inspire any sort of confidence of a deep playoff. run. So if you're not making, and if you don't plan on making a deep playoff run, then why are you trying? Why don't you restock for next year?
1: And you restock, and then if you do make the playoffs, it's gravy. And then you say, you "Look, hey, look, Devin Shore and Radek Foxa and Stephen Johns and Julius Honka, they get the experience of playing against uh, who will be, exactly. against whoever against. They'll probably play. Who, who will win the Central right now if we're looking at it? it would probably be Minnesota again. May, Minnesota right now. But So you, they get an experience of a five, six, maybe even seven playoff round series and a chance of playing big minutes in those opportunities. And then they come in next year even better. So if you make, you can make the playoffs and still sell off. I mean, it's not likely, but it's something that you could potentially do and could potentially work out. But so we're in agreement here on January, February 15th is that day where if you're the stars, you wake up and you look at who are we on February 15th? Because that's when you decide that we're either, we're either going to the trading block and we're calling every GM and say, Hey, here's available. What are you offering? Or if, they win. I say they win six of the next eight games, and all of a sudden they're looking like that team that could be consistent again. All of a sudden you're looking, well, maybe we're shopping around for something to improve our roster. Maybe we're shopping around one of our eight defensemen to bring in another piece that contributed. But eight games, February 15th, that's really the date that I look at where that's when you decide who this team is, and that's when Jim Nil really needs to decide whether he has a team that can actually contend – contend for a playoff, not only a playoff berth, but can actually make some noise in the playoffs.
0: Right. Particularly if this team kind of struggles through these next eight games, because after that, you're going Minnesota, Tampa Bay, Arizona, Boston, and Pittsburgh. And And the schedule's not getting any easier after, after these next eight games.
1: And March is all and March is pretty much completely on the road. And this team is so bad on the road. So Mm -hmm. if, if they're not good at home with a heavy dose of home games over the next over the next handful of games, I have no reason to believe they'd be good on the road. So it becomes that point
0: where. 10 of 14 games in March on the road.
1: Yeah. So before we forget about them, let's get to a couple of the, uh, I asked for people's expectations on Twitter. And so I'll get through a bunch of, I'll read through some of these real quick. Um, Not much different, hard to see a playoff push unless the defense figures it out. That's fair. Um, I expect them to continue being a 500 team, finishing 14th, just missing the playoffs and getting a bad pick in an already weak draft. I don't think
0: that's... That that's, sounds like what I ranted about a couple months ago.
1: That sounds like what you're going to... You ranted it out a couple months ago, and that's probably realistic. Honestly, that's that net that maybe That's from Adam Bath. That may be the most realistic thing. Um, however, it's one thing, too, where, we, as we mentioned just five minutes ago, there's no one to tank for for this year. There's no one to tank... I mean... If you're going to be in the – they're going to be in the – they're going to have – a. if you're miss the playoffs, you're going to have a ball in the lottery either way. You're not going to catch Colorado. You're not going to catch Arizona for better, for better odds of being bad. So, frankly, this is a draft where I look at – it's one of those where after the first two picks, if you're getting somebody at the 14th pick or you're getting somebody at the 10th pick, you're probably not that big of a difference right now. Now we will have. We can talk way more about draft things later, but that's just a quick thought on that. Um, from Robert Tiffin, I expect the Stars to score at least one more goal on their second power play unit to double this season total. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. I enjoy that. Um, the trade deadline direction will be decided in February, and I think the players know that too. We'll see. Best case is still a wild card spot, in my opinion. But recently, they've been playing like themselves. I've been bashing their performance all season, but I'm optimistic right now. The schedule looks a lot better. That's from Galvin Wilkinson um, on Twitter, and uh, sorry, Gavin Wilkinson. And uh, kind of, agree- I mean, we kind of just touched on that. We kind of agreed with with that sentiment there. Um, we're looking at an interesting two weeks that kind of define what becomes the second part of the season. And I personally think they have an opportunity to do it, but we don't know. That's And that's there's still more questions than answers right now. Um, on, a good, on a good note for the Stars um, from practice today, Roddick Fox uh, looks like he's going to play tomorrow. He'll be back after missing uh, just two games, which should make the stars a bit better defensively, uh as far and will also probably take Lori Korpakoski out of the lineup and uh and with Korpakoski going out, it'll probably be once again Yuri Hoodler's fourth straight game getting scratched and that signing is starting to look kind of interesting, isn't it? That Hoodler signing.
0: Oh yeah. Poor poor guy signs a one year show me deal to try to bolsters value for next offseason, gets sick, misses the first quarter of the season, and now he can't get back into the lineup.
1: If you, if you had told Yuri Hoodler at any point in his career that he couldn't beat out Adam Cracknell for a roster spot, he would, he would think you're a liar.
0: Oh, for sure. Like, 100%. And
1: so he's – it's – the Stars uh, – Lindy Ruff has said the Stars are trying to get bigger, stronger – Try and be bigger and stronger, and 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 I really like what that fourth line has done recently with Cracknell, Richie, and McKenzie. I think for once it's a line that is actually making other teams think when they go when they when when a defenseman goes to play behind the buck behind the net after a dump, and they actually have to think about it a little bit now, as opposed to getting maybe slightly pushed by Tyler Sagan. <laughs> um, and then when with Fox coming back in, who will probably play with uh, Devon Shore and Patrick Sharp, all of a sudden you get another bigger body that isn't in uh, playing well. Speaking of that line, and we touched on selling on Patrick Sharp, but I think Patrick Sharp has put it, made it maybe, maybe put his value at an all-time high after his recent play, I think, over the past couple of games. He had two goals the other night in the last game before the, uh, before the break. And Patrick Sharp is a player who he's going to continue to be, he's on the downswing of his career. He's going to continue to go he's not going to be as good. He's not going to be, he's going to take a step back next year because of age. And then the, uh, and so his value right now with him playing well, recently GMs are going to look at the three Stanley cups on three Stanley cup rings on his hand. See two goals recently against Buffalo. And he may never have a higher value than to trade him right now based off what he's done recently, because he is completely shaken off the concussion. At least it seems, but, Who knows? Obviously, that came back last time.
0: Right. No, and you're exactly right. I mean, he's going to be a really important player these next two weeks for Dallas for a multitude of reasons. Well, for two reasons, because one, he's either going to help them claw their way back into the playoffs, or two, he's going to play really well and establish himself as a really valuable trade chip. Yeah. Which, I mean, that would be a win-win for Dallas. It would be.
1: It would be. Speaking of...
0: uh... Uh, Yeah, he's got over his last five games yeah granted he has four points his last five games total too but yeah semantics
1: i like i like him i think him and shore have developed a nice little chemistry which has worked mm-hmm. well and mm-hmm. um i like that i think them with fox so that could be a good fit speaking of things actually on the move did you see the report probably about an hour before you got on this podcast what's happening in brooklyn
0: yeah they're getting evicted
1: The New York Islanders are getting evicted, basically. The Barclays Center has decided that, uh, which I think the Nets owner owns the, he owns the building, right? Yes. So the Barclays Center, which apparently, so apparently it is much, uh, it is easier and it is uh, better financially for the arena not to have an ice surface and to have more and have 41 extra days a year for concerts,
0: is here, this is the exact quote. according to Bloomberg News, citing people familiar with the facility's financials, the arena has determined it would make more money without the Islanders. That's kind of embarrassing to be completely honest.
1: That is. I mean,
0: isn't there I'm sitting here saying that playing having an ice hockey team, the the operational cost of switching of ripping off the basketball court panel, setting up the ice, setting up the boards the operational cost is greater than the money you are making from the Islanders.
1: And, and the Islanders... Granted,
0: they're, pay, they're paying them like $50 million a year yeah. or something like that in order for... or in exchange for all access to ticket and concession, parking revenue, and what have you. But that's kind of sad still. I mean, granted, they're bare, they're drawing like 12000 a night.
1: But... The, uh, the Islanders have an interesting history of business decisions between, uh, you remember the, have you ever seen the, uh, the documentary on uh, John Spano? I have not. So look if you get a chance to watch that, there's a 30 for 30 ESPN documentary called big, uh, called big shot on John Spano, the guy who actually bought the Islanders and didn't actually have any money. <laughs> um, he was that, word. The, and so he basically made up that he had money, and he was. Uh, and it was in 1996 that he, had, he, bought, he bought majority control of the Islanders, and he didn't nearly had hardly any money at all to buy the team, and committed a bunch of bank and wire fraud. He basically went to a bunch of banks and said, Hey, here, give me money, and got loans, and then got loans from other banks to pay off those loans. And so, actually, and there's a connection here to the Dallas Stars. He tried to buy the stars in 1995. Oh, he tried to buy the stars in 1995. Um, he actually had a tentative agreement, I believe, um, to buy 50% interest or maybe 45% interest. I think from um, um, from buying the, to to buy the Dallas Stars. And there's a uh, there's, there's some really good qu- quotes in that documentary from Jim Lights, who was the Stars. Uh, who was the star's president back in 1995 and um, is, was once again, is is now once again, the star's president after the, um, after uh, Tom Gilardi bought the, bought the team, how lights remembers going to uh, Spanos mansion in Dallas, which is a big mansion in Dallas. I think it might've been Highland park or university park, something like that. And it was just completely unfurnished. Um, And there was also times where they were having discussions to buy this meal, to buy the team, and lights went, lights and other people from the stars went to dinner with Spanos, and Spanos is supposedly this millionaire who wants to buy the Dallas Stars, and the dinner check comes around, and he has Jim Lights pick up the check. Oh. And there was also, a, I think it was something where you should really watch the documentary, and anyone listening, if you haven't watched it, go watch Big Shot. Um, apparently, I think also something else fell through too with uh, where Spanos insisted that he had the uh, that he had the assets, and that the Stars just need to meet, meet with some of his. I think it was South African partners who had helped him to come to some agreement with the Kalamazoo Wings, who were the minor league affiliate at the time. Like so, this guy who almost bought the Stars. And obviously, the stars went through their own their own financial problems a decade and a half later. But the Islanders have had John Spanos actually be able to buy the team, even though he had no money. And now they're getting evicted by a Russian billionaire, basically.
0: What a uh, what a time to be alive. Where should the,
1: where, where where should the Islanders play? Okay, put on your NHL seventeen GM hat, where where money is no object. You get to. Uh, Change your arena and everything like that. Where, where do you put the Islanders?
0: I'd put them back on Long Island with a new arena deal, I guess. Mm-hmm. I've heard Queens or um, somewhere else around that area might be an option, which I guess wouldn't be bad, but where are the Islanders. Keep them on the island.
1: I have an idea for next season. Okay. They're getting kicked out of their home. I think... A-
0: allegedly. Allegedly. allegedly.
1: allegedly. 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 Reportedly. Reportedly. I'll give Bloomberg. I'll give Bloomberg. A reportedly, I guess. Um, let's go barnstorming style. 82 road games. 82 road That's games. Awful. Let me finish here. Go 82 road games, and then basically, as you're going, you basically then throughout the season, you're having people. You play a couple home games in other places too to test them out. Like you go, you know, what, you know what? We'll play a couple home games in Kansas City. We'll play. a <laughs> we'll play a home
0: Does Kansas City have an operable NHL arena
1: Kansas City wants uh, Kansas City wants an NHL team apparently uh, they're not going to get one but it's reportedly the uh, uh, the the Hunt family who owns the Chiefs and uh, also own I think they own the MLS team as well are interested in trying to get an AHL team in Kansas City so play a home game in Kansas City play a home game go play a home game in Atlanta just just go, just go 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 play a home game in front of those Thrashers fans yeah. that are still remaining. The,
0: thr- the Thrashers couldn't even draw for their own team. I really bet a bunch of Atlanta Knights are really gonna want to come watch the fucking New York Islanders play like Buffalo or something like that.
1: Go barnstorming and be like the team that uh one of my favorite teams in uh Hockey history, and I'm about to tell you a story about the 1993-94 Russian Penguins. Okay?
0: Okay. All right. I'll sit back and
1: listen. So the 1993-94 Russian Penguins were a team in the old IHL, the International Hockey League, the second uh, the league that was rival to the AHL as the second best league in the second minor league team, second best minor league, sorry, in hockey at the time. And so the Russian Penguins were a team of Russian players that played 13 regular season games in the IHL, all road games against uh, the other... there's 13 teams in the IHL. They played 13 road games against the teams in the IHL. Their games actually counted in the standings for the IHL standings. Um, and they were just basically a barnstorming team. And I'm going to read you some of the names from this team um, that included Sergey Breland... Valentin uh Valentin Morozov, Nikolai Habibulin, uh Alexei Yashin, uh, I believe that's Sergey Zubov in, in no that's sorry, that's not Sergei Zubov, that's Sergei Zagovin. But the Russian Penguins, the pride of the IHL 1993-94. Pittsburgh the not Pittsburgh, I'm thinking penguins now. The New York Islanders need to need to go and they need to take what that 1993-94 Russian Penguin stood for, and take it to the NHL level, and play 82 road games, and just call themselves the Islanders, city to be determined, and uh, play in AHL markets that are losing teams. Why not? Things like that. Like <laughs> we just learned, we just learned, we just learned that Albany Devils are leaving Albany. Just go play in Albany in front of six thousand people. <laughs> you
0: know what they're gonna do. They're going to do whatever John Tavares wants to do. As they desperately try to get him resigned. Does
1: so that, so that mean they're also going to play lacrosse, too?
0: Ah, you never know. Maybe they have a, They start a summer league to uh, to drum up some extra revenue there so they have a home for next year.
1: John Tavares' his uncle, whose name is also John Tavares, is the, considered the greatest lacrosse player of all time. He's the Gretzky of lacrosse. Oh,
0: see, I did not know that because see. I don't care.
1: <laughs> I, well I, I think people are learning in real time how much random crap is in my head because yeah
0: apparently Jesus like Mr. Trivia Night over here
1: but I, there's other simple answers like simple questions I couldn't give you an answer to So, <laughs> well it's uh, before we go today I want to close the podcast with uh, fun fact I think we've already had enough fun facts today, haven't we? Well, here's
0: here's some fun facts. Uh, okay, you got some close more? With. Did you know that the Stars have played on every Thursday of this regular season except for three?
1: What's their record on Thursdays? Do you know that?
0: Um, No, but I can figure that out real quick. They are 8, 4, and 1. On Thursdays? Yeah.
1: So Thursdays have actually been good days.
0: Yes. They've played every Thursday except for Thanksgiving, the weekend before Christmas, and then the 5th this month.
1: So that's good news for the... uh, I
0: just randomly, I kind of just, I had the schedule up, so I just looked at it because I'd always been wondering because I work every Thursday, and it seems like every time I work on Thursday that the Stars are playing, which is nice.
1: So they play, so that should be good news for Thursday when they play the Winnipeg Jets, which happens to be Groundhog Day.
0: Frickin' Groundhog. Yeah, they also play the next three Thursdays, so there you go. And then one more fun fact for me, Patrick Eves is one point away from tying his career high. Yeah, those are my fun facts.
1: Speaking of Groundhog Day, I, yeah, I bet this season feels like Groundhog Day to like Lindy Ruff. Like he wakes up each day and like hopes it's actually like it didn't actually happen, and and hope it'll move on to the next day, and hope that somebody's actually healthy and things like that. But but alas, it is not Groundhog Day.
0: No, it is not. <laughs>
1: What do you think is the darkest thing Bill Murray's did in Groundhog Day that you can say on this podcast?
0: I haven't seen Groundhog Day, so I wouldn't know.
1: You've never seen the movie Groundhog Day?
0: No, I have not. All right, that's actual homework for
1: next week. I don't want to deal with that. Okay. With
0: the. I was doing physics when you texted me, so that's, that's where I'm at with my life right now.
1: Okay, with that, I want everyone on Twitter to rip into Ryan for not know, not having, having never seen Groundhog Day before. Um, I will give you a pass. You don't have to see the Groundhog Day if you have the script for Yuri Hudler's episode of House on My Desk by next week. Okay, uh, deal. So, I'll I'll
0: get
1: on it. With that, everyone have a uh, everyone have a good week, and uh, thanks for listening.